Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our Spotlight on the Positive segment. And here are some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their communities. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Go get them, guys. Hey, good evening, folks, and Happy New Year to all of you. And thank you for coming back and joining us tonight on Thursday Night Tailgate, where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari here to get you ready for week number 18. Strange week number 18 in the NFL season. Bob, Happy New Year, my friend. How are you? Hi, Chris. Happy New Year to you. I'm doing good. Thank you, sir. Bob, hope springs eternal still in uh, Pittsburgh for my Steelers. Still in the playoff hunt, amazingly. Who would have thunk it when they were 2-6 and six not all that long ago? A couple of weeks ago when I was looking to see what ESPN thought our playoff chances were, they had it at 0.02%. And now we're all the way up to 15.6%. Uh, I really do, don't think that uh, it is all that far-fetched that my Steelers could actually get in, Bob. Well, you know, Chris, they're always... They always seem, at least under Tomlin, they seem to really pick it up toward the end. Uh, you know, Tomlin, he's been under fire at times during his career. Uh, you know, what, this is one of those years he's had about seven or eight of them where he's been around 500. But they're always, you know, competitive at the end there if there's a playoff spot to be had. So, you know, I, I, I know you're a realist and this is not a probably a Super Bowl winning team, but, you know, it would be nice. Uh, to get in the playoffs, and, and I think a guy like Tomlin considers that a challenge point. Oh, for sure. And look, I, I'm under no delusion, to your point, Bob, that the Steelers are winning a Super Bowl this year. It'd be nice for, for Kenny Pickett and some of the young guys to get the playoff experience. We may end up getting blown out in the first round because, you know, we're going to get whoever finishes as the number two seed in the AFC. We're going to get whoever that is, and most likely, Bills, Bengals, Chiefs are probably going to blow them out but you know the the playoff experience will do them good down the road so you know and look i think they got an excellent chance of getting in all we need and i say all we need in air quotes is the steelers need to beat the Browns, right jets need to beat the dolphins i think that's the sticky one because the jets offense is abysmal but the dolphins could be with either teddy bridgewater or uh kyler thompson as their as their starting quarterback so it's not beyond belief you know the jets defense is good if they decide to show up and play because they got nothing to play for but if they just play it through, it could happen. You know, the Jets defense could, could hold the Dolphins down. They could get that win. And then, then we need the Bills to beat the Patriots. So I think the Bills are going to be plenty motivated this week. They're still trying to win, get a number one seed potentially. And, uh, and then obviously, uh, with the circumstances from this past Monday night, I think they've got, you know, uh, someone they want to win a game for. So I think all of those things could still come to pass. So I'm, I'm feeling relatively, you know, good. I get positive vibes. I'm feeling all good about this. I'm rooting, I'm rooting for you, Chris. I like to see it happen too. You know, Pittsburgh, NFL without the Steelers in the playoffs is kind of not, not football, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
And speaking of what happened this past Monday night, and we are all praying for DeMar Hamlin to make a complete recovery. And the news today seems to be that he has made a remarkable improvement over the last 24 hours. So that news is fantastic. And thoughts and prayers, folks, continue to do those for he and his family. Uh, the game of football is way down the list of priorities at this point uh, with respect to, to him and his recovery and, and uh, that sort of thing. So uh, we're hoping that he just gets to be able to, at, at a minimum, get back to being with his family and leading a normal life. So please continue to send those prayers that way. Uh, Bob wanted to get your thoughts, though, because it, it puts the NFL in kind of a sticky situation with what to do with that game. Adam Schefter, not that long ago today uh, on ESPN, reported that what he believes is going to happen is they're going to call it a tie. Um, but that leaves a lot of things to be discussed, and, and, I'll, and I'll get into that in a minute, but I, I kind of want to get your thoughts. What do you think the options really are for the NFL at this point? Well, you know, last I heard, Chris, and this was just a couple hours ago, that it's pretty much a done deal that they might totally just cancel this game. Uh, like it would never have happened. Now, if they do that, uh, then you're going to have to bring in a bunch of scenarios that it, it, somebody's going to be on the short end of something. They're going to probably go by win percentages. Um, and, and that would affect a lot of teams, you know, that, like the Bengals would automatically win the AFC North, Chris, when the Ravens actually did have a shot. Um, you know, uh, although the Bengals cannot get the number one seed now, and if they had played that game, that would have been possible. You know, you need a couple things to happen. Chiefs would have had a lose. The Bengals still could have got the number one seed. Um, but now, if if it stays like this, that game is just canceled. It will not be played this year. The Chiefs would be in the driver's seat for the number one seed. The Bills would have no shot. And they had a shot to get the number one seed had they won that Monday night game and uh Kansas City losing. So, I mean, somebody is going to come up short, Chris. You know, when I first, I don't know if you might agree with this, I thought maybe the best thing to do would be not to play this week at all. Well, the only teams that could play this week, you know, have the Bengals and Bills maybe resume it on next Monday. So they'd have it at least a full week, even on a Tuesday, Chris. Give them time to do whatever needs to be had. No one else plays. You push everything back. There's no longer two weeks before the Super Bowl. I know it comes down to money and hype and all that and the NFL's money-making machine, but that would not... It would not affect any of the things we're talking about now. Everyone would have 17, you know, games played, and you go by that. And it seems, and as it's turning out, with the whole Hamlin situation looking good now, uh, I think that would have been doable. But if they're doing what they think they're doing, and I'm hearing now they're going to just cancel this game, those two teams will only have played 16 games, Chris. Somebody is going to get the shaft here, and uh, but that's to be seen. But I think there's still some decisions to be made. Yeah, and and I agree with you, Bob. I mean, look, everyone knows I'm a Steeler fan, and I hate the Ravens more than anything outside of the New York Yankees. I that 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 yeah. I hate the Ravens. So, but if I'm if I'm John Harbaugh, I'm a, a member of the Ravens team, front office, or whatever. I mean, I had an opportunity to win an AFC North title. Had the Bengals lost last week, and now I'm playing for something on Sunday. Now I'm playing for nothing. I got no shot, right? I mean, and I don't know, Bob, as you know, so many contracts have bonus clauses in them. If you win a title, you know, win a division title, you know, particularly 
Usually it's the quarterbacks, but other guys too, I'm sure, have clauses in there. If you win it, you know, win a division title, if you win, get a playoff, this, that, and the other. So what happens to those things that where, where are those kickers? Where are the, the incentive clauses for guys, you know, for numbers, you know, for yardages and all that sort of thing. So there's a lot of money, as you point out, at play yeah. here. And, and I, you know, and to your other point, the Chiefs, who really did not have an inside track at the number one seed, because they lost to the Bills earlier this year. The Bills had won out. They would have had home field advantage in the number one seed and a bye. Now they don't. Now it's the Chiefs. I mean, all the Chiefs have to do is beat the Raiders, and they get the number one seed. It's it's, it's almost handed to them, particularly okay. now with the situation going on with the Raiders. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, because Derek Carr is no longer with the team, and they're going to be going with a, a young quarterback and all that sort of thing. So the Chiefs have, have a very easy path now to the number one seed, and the Bills, they, they, they get a little bit screwed here. So there's a lot of things still at play. Um, and so I'm sure that's why the NFL hasn't officially come out and announced what they're going to do. But boy, I, if I'm a couple of these teams, I'm, I'm raising my hand going, Hey, help me out here. Yeah. But just that one game not being played, Chris, it, it brings all this stuff in. And we're even hearing things about, uh, they're going to have to come up with something like the number one seed would either get to pick the home field advantage or getting a buy. Uh, and the AFC title game could be played at a new site. These are all like ideas being thrown out there. They're going to have to make this decision pretty quickly. But again, um, I'm not going to say tainted, but uh, there are going to be some unhappy people, and uh, you kind of knew this was coming. Yeah. Bob, speaking of the Raiders, want to get your thoughts. Derek Carr now is the second starting quarterback in as many weeks to be demoted and subsequently leaving the team. Marcus Mariota left the Falcons after he was replaced in the starting lineup by Desmond Ritter. Is that going to play well for other teams looking at a Derek Carr as a potential free agent for next season? Well, you know, I think the jury is out on this guy now. This guy is going to be 32 years old, Chris, uh, in the spring. Uh, You would think, you know, with a guy like McDaniels coming over, a lot of people say, okay, this is the guy for Carr. You know, look what he did with Mac Jones. Uh, this is going to be a good marriage. Well, the, the, the truth thing, the, the thing is about Carr, he's really been on a downslide for five, six years now. Uh, the picks are up. I mean, he's leading the, uh, league in interceptions now. So, I mean, anybody looking at him, Chris is going to have to say, look, I mean, you know, can our coordinator work with his game? Uh, this guy, you know, he was always on that brink of being considered maybe possibly an elite quarterback, Chris. I never put him there, but I think a lot of people did because he was always at that 4,000-yard mark, uh, put up some great numbers. Last year had a you know, decent year yardage-wise. But um, So I don't know. You know, I, I'm sure people are going to be looking at it, but it doesn't look good when a, a guy leaves a team and doesn't get a, a – well, it's not working out with one of the best offensive coordinators in football, which happens to be – Probably should still be a coordinator, Josh McDaniels, but uh, you get my point. I mean, I'm sure people are going to look at him, but they have to look at chemistry with a coordinator. All right, let's move along to our Unsung Hero of the Week award. Who's a lesser-known player, Bob, that uh, you want to shine a spotlight on? You know, I have to. you and I love this segment because usually the uh, undrafted free agents come up, right, Chris? And I found another one. Okay, it was Jawan Johnson. Of the Saints. Now, Saints aren't going anywhere this week, Chris, but you know, they had a big win, obviously, one of the biggest wins of the week against Philly, right? That was pretty cool for them to go up to Philly 
and win that game. I know again, you know, you're not dealing with Jalen Hurts yet, but still, uh, Saints weren't supposed to win that game. So Juwan Johnson, Chris, it's a guy that played at Penn State and then actually played one year at Oregon and was a wide receiver in college, came to the pros, you know, signed by the Saints, uh, you know, cut, signed, cut, signed, taxi squad, talk, cat, you know, you know the deal. So he actually, I think he had only caught 17 passes coming into this year in his third year. Well, he caught five passes on Sunday, 62 yards, you know, at a 21-yard reception, kept the chains moving, and one was one of the reasons why the Saints were able to uh, to pull that off. And uh, so, you know, it's great to see a guy like that. He's he's considered a tight end now. Um, you know, had put some weight on, and I guess that's where he's good. So maybe he's made his point where he's going to be a force to be reckoned with, at least as a tight end of the league. But I think that was great to see him do what he did on Sunday. Yeah, definitely. I, I got a big taste of him when the Steelers played the Saints and actually picked him up on my fantasy team. So uh, good go. call from you. That, that guy is uh, certainly a guy on the rise. My unsung hero of the week is going to Giants wide receiver Richie James. This is his first year with the Giants. He was a seventh-round draft pick by the 49ers back in 2018 out of Middle Tennessee. Played with the 49ers for three seasons. The most he ever had in a season was 23 catches before this year. Had a knee injury and missed all of last season and was waived by the 49ers. The Giants picked him up back in March. He struggled midseason with a couple of fumbles on punt returns in week eight against the Seahawks. Got himself benched for a couple of weeks. Worked his way out of the doghouse. And the last two weeks have been two of the best of his career. This past Sunday against Indy, seven, uh, seven catches on seven targets for 76 yards and a touchdown. So that's why he is my unsung hero of the week. It's time for another edition of Bob's Take. So, Bob, tell us, what's on your mind tonight? All right, let's go ahead and get into this week's edition of Bob's Take. And, Bob, I want to start with the Packers. They are back from the dead. They've won four games in a row now and are five and two since Christian Watson hit the starting lineup. A win over the Lions on Sunday and they're in the playoffs. Does Christian Watson have a case for rookie of the year, even though he's only fifth amongst wide receivers in receiving yards? You know, you got to like what he's done, Chris. I mean, uh, if it weren't for him, obviously probably the MVP, uh, one of the MVPs of that offense. You know, I mean, when you think about it, uh, you know, the Randall Cobb days are coming. It seems like they're coming a little bit to an end. So he's the kind of guy that stepped up this year uh, without his seven touchdowns. Uh, they're not in that position where he is now. You know, uh, I mean, he'll get some votes, but I think there's some other receivers. I think the wide receiver for the Saints from Ohio State, Olive, I think his name is. I mean, he's really up there close to a thousand yards. Those guys like that out there, but kudos to Watson, you know. Uh, you know, yet there was a lot of growing pains there with um, with Aaron Rodgers, Chris. At the beginning, there was frustration on both sides, but uh, it seems to be gelling now, and uh, it, he's a main reason why they have a shot at the playoff. Next, Bob, Tony Collins has been saying to us for weeks that the Vikings are the worst team with a great record. He's been saying that all the way since uh, they were 10-2. and two. And then after getting blown out by the Packers this past week, the Vikings lose 41-17 last Sunday. Is Tony right? Are the Vikings really the worst 
best record team ever? I think Tony is right. You know, uh, all this year I'm saying, you know, well, we heard from Bar- Parcells years ago, you know, your record, you are what your record says you are. Well, in the standings you are, for sure. Um, but this is a team, and I haven't done the research, Chris, but there cannot be a team in history that's been eight games over 500 that has a negative 19 point differential. They've given up 19 more points than they've scored in their 12 and 4. Think about that, right? right. It's almost impossible. But a team like that, you know, 414 points allowed, um, you know, that's, that's not a great defense, Chris. Obviously, they probably have the best receiver in the league. That's a main reason why they're up there. A guy that's close to 1,800 yards, I think, is outrageous. They didn't have that good of a week last week. But, yeah, I, I'd say overall, uh, a team like that that's given up more than they've scored, you can't be 12-4, and four, but they are. So give credit to the coach, give credit to the players there, but uh, I I still see them as a pretender at this point, even though you know they may get a good seed and they may be uh, decent uh, getting to the playoffs. But I just don't see it. You know, every week you can't win in the last two minutes, right, Chris? <laughs> well, the Steelers have done it the last two weeks, thank God. <laughs> One more, Bob. Devontae Adams, who signed with the Raiders as a free agent last offseason because he's good friends with Derek Carr, speaking of him. They played together at Fresno State. Adams is saying he wants to be in the loop for who the next Raider quarterback is going to be. What's your take on players wanting to get involved in personnel decisions? Uh, it drives me crazy, Chris. You probably have read some of my tweets on Twitter about LeBron James. LeBron James, I think, is the GM of the Lakers, isn't he? I mean, he has been for <laughs> a few years now. And, you know, I mean, there's such a thing as being a great player and, you know, uh, you know, speaking your mind at times. But look, I mean, you're paid to, to play. You're not paid to make personal decisions. You have no right to be throwing that in there. And, you know, what, what stinks about the Adams situation, Chris, this is a guy that's been in the year, been in the league nine years. Now this guy's got Hall of Fame numbers. Don't don't get me wrong. He plays a couple more years. He's probably going to make the Hall of Fame. Thinks in the way that he might be looking for a quarterback. You know, this is not a guy that's going to start over with a rookie quarter. He wants a quarterback that probably can get him the ball and get him another couple thousand yards in this league that gets him to can. You know, that's what I'm reading into this a little bit. I mean, the guy's a great talent, but you know. Again, guys, and not just Mr. Adams, all of you out there, let the guys make the personnel decisions. Spend all that extra energy that you're doing uh, looking at personnel. Do it on the in the weight room or on the football field, please. <laughs> there you go, folks. That's this week's edition of Bob's Take. We got a great show in store for you tonight with our guests, Bo Bach, Tony Collins, Leonard Wheeler, and John Staggerwald. We're going to be right back with Bo Bach on the other side of these real quick station you're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. All right, now back for an incredible 17th time with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is the Dean of Atlanta Sports Talk Radio and a member of our 2017 Guest Hall of Fame class, Mr. Bo Bach. Bo has been a great friend of the show going all the way back to September 12th of 2013. So before you know it, it's going to be 10 years that Bo has been a part of the show. We always enjoy getting to spend time with him. He's been the Dean of Atlanta Sports Talk Radio since 1973. He knows Atlanta sports better than anyone in this town, and we're excited that he is back with us again tonight. 
here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Bo, Chris, and Bob. Happy Hi, New Bo. Year, my Happy friends. How are you? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on the wrong show. <laughs> the wrong show? <laughs> I thought I was talking to Chris and Bob. It is Chris and Bob. <laughs> oh, my God. How are you guys? It's been too long. I uh, know. Bo, how are, how are you? How's your New Year starting off? Uh, it's good. Thank God. Yeah, okay. everybody's healthy, and uh, I'm looking forward uh, to the seasons we have coming up because we're in great shape. I think. Oh, you, you know what? You know why I say we're in great shape? Please. I think it is because um, we know where everybody's going. You know, we know the Falcons are on track, and not many people know this. It, 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 it's terrible in our town because we don't have any media. We don't have any sports media in, in Atlanta, so nobody ever has an opinion. Nobody ever says this is good or that's bad. So these guys, these owners who have never been owners before or ever had a job strap on, um, are, 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 are just run us into the ground. Until now, until, you know, when the Hawks came with uh, uh, that whole new regime after 23 years of horrible, horrible coaching and no direction. Uh, they have it going on right now. It's broken, but not a disaster. It can be fixed. And, and that's why Schling, uh, stepped down, uh, it is because this thing is not working out the way he said it would. You see, he's made some mistakes. He made a mistake with, uh, Kevin Herder last year. And, uh, I, I think, uh, that Tay, uh, Trey's nose has been out of joint all season since DeJounte Murray was brought in. And and not really uh, consulted with Trey uh, about that fact. It was his team, and now you take it away and uh, give half of it to DeJounte Murray. Boeing, you said that the teams are going in the right direction. Are the Falcons going in the right direction? I mean, this is a team that's been stuck around seven wins over the last several years. I know they're, they've, they're changing direction with Desmond Ritter now at quarterback, but are they? do you think they're on the right track? Absolutely, Chris. It, it, this, this, this is as close as we've been since '92. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. When I looked, when yeah, I looked I at mean, the Super Bowl year, I thought they were, I thought they were just on the brink, ball. When you know, at Super Bowl Fifty One, obviously the, the second half, particularly the fourth quarter, thing, things started on the downhill run. But I, well, I, I guess I've been waiting to see them get better than seven wins, and it just doesn't feel like they're getting over that hump. Yeah, but that Super Bowl was an aberration. I mean, we had nothing going up to it. It just all came together. We see that a lot in sports where just a, you know, a championship comes out of the sky, everything comes together. And, and that's the way it was. And they proved it immediately after the Super Bowl, uh, by dissecting the team, by getting rid of the heart and soul of the team, changing all the personnel and then coming to camp and taking up, they thought they could take up where they left off. A coach can never do that. You have to start from the beginning every year, every single year. Start with fundamentals and, and just go through it. You can't never pick up where you left off. Well, I want to get you thought. And we see, on and we see, and, and, and uh, uh, excuse me, and, and uh, the guy who um, uh, seconded that is Kirby Smart. He knew that. He says it all the time. You know, we started from the beginning this year. You can't, you have to do it that way. Well, the guy that was the leader of that Super Bowl team, if you will, was Matt Ryan, and he's had a tough season moving over to Indies and benched twice now during the course of the season. Right. Do you think right. he's going to wind up somewhere else, 
over the offseason with a chance to start, or is this it for him? I don't know. I don't know, Chris. I, I, I think that Matt probably had enough. You know, you talk about a guy that's a hard luck story. It's him. He's never had a coach in the National Football League. In fact, this guy, Arthur Smith, is the first uh, Arthur has had uh, in 23 years. Arthur Blank has owned this team for 23 years, and Arthur Smith is the first coach he's had. I'm, I'm talking about a, I'm talking about a football guy who runs it like a football team. Bo, it's great to speak with you again, and I want to stick on the Thanks, the, the Matt Ryan situation. I mean, it would have been a really nice uh, story for him to do 14 years in Atlanta, get out. Uh, you yeah. know, it, but you know, to, to see him go what he went through. I mean. He, Still playing at a decent level. I think right. there was times there they probably should have went when he was still completing six, seven percent of his passes for a not so good team. Um, but right. guys like him and Brady Bo, I mean, did you think it'd get to this point? I mean, Brady had a great game last week, but obviously not the same player. These are two guys that are going to the Hall of Fame. Um, right. it's just to me, it's, it's sad to see these guys and their teams under 500 at this point. I agree, Bob, but I, you know, I think it's just. Systemic throughout the league. I, 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 we don't see much great coaching. We don't see many great organizations, you know, and, 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 uh, Matt Ryan has been with, you know, one of the worst organizations in football his entire career. I mean, a, a team that's been going nowhere and, and doing, you know, irrational things every single year because there's nobody in the front office who knows what's going on. And, and Arthur is just in the last year has begun to loosen the, the strings a little bit. You know, he, you know, he thought he could do any. Oh, I got to ask you about, uh, and this is something we read about every day is the salaries in, in, in basically all the sports. Uh, you know, NFL quarterbacks are making $40 million a year now. Um, and are very, very picky about if they play, when they play. And how many years they wait, et cetera. We're finding baseball players now, you know, once the 11 year 350 threshold was throughout, now they ain't, the, the agents are using that as a, uh, a comparative barometer now. Um, you know, Chris and I have talked this since we did a baseball show years ago, Bo. How, how long could it sustain itself? Sports, especially baseball, uh, you know, when you're losing a generation of television viewers because kids don't watch it anymore. It, it's becoming impossible for parents to take their kids to these games. Uh, how are they still being able to get the TV revenues? It's, it's got to end sometime, Bo. Well, I, I think there's a 10-year delay between what's happening now and how it's going to uh, catch up with TV right. and revenue, that type of thing. But the other thing is, I don't know. I mean, how could it? I mean, how can it, how could it go beyond this? How can it increase? I, I, I just don't say I, I have no way of, of knowing how to begin with the numbers and, and where that's going to come from. And like you said, Bobby, you can't project it because viewers are going away. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me, Bo, because as we're, we're hearing about Otani, right? Who's going to be a free agent next year. And to, right. to Bob's point, 11 years, you know, Somewhere between three and four hundred million for guys that are thirty-year-old shortstops are going to be playing you know, on the back end of that contract. DH, you're going to be a thirty-eight-year-old, you know, shortstop that's you know playing first base or DH. But Otani, 
they're already talking about Otani's contract being a, a half a billion dollars for uh, him man. over 10 years. Man, I mean, man, at some man, point, man. the house of cards has to fall, doesn't it? Exactly. It has to. But, you know, let's see what uh, um, he gets uh, for the commanders, for the Redskins in Washington. I mean, right. Right. Well, I want to get your thoughts as well. Now, you know, as we're talking baseball, I mean, the Braves seem to be the team that have done this thing the right way. I mean, they've, yeah. they've locked up the young talent to really, I mean, yeah. in, in comparatively, you know, team friendly contracts. So they got their young talent locked up for, you know, seven, eight, nine years. Those guys are all going right. to come together. This, this should be a franchise that's challenging for World Series championships for the next decade, isn't it? Well, I hope so. It's supposed to be. You know, we should have been this way uh, going back to the 70s. I mean, you know, I I could go on and on and on. But, yeah, that you know, that's what this great franchise is supposed to be. Um, We've got that kind of talent. We've had that type of of scouting. We've got that type of uh, minor league. We've got a good organization. And we put the capper on it with this uh, with this new general manager. Who has putting everything in perspective? I'm really surprised that Dansby leaving here. Our shortstop, Dansby Swanson. I thought that that was going to be, he was going to be one of the, uh, uh, one of the pillars. I was really surprised. And he's from here. Bo, you mentioned uh, the University of Georgia a little bit ago. Want to get your thoughts? They're right back in the national championship game. It looked icy there for a minute against Ohio State. Very exciting finish to that game. But do you yeah. think, does TCU have any opportunity, do you think, to knock off Georgia on Monday? Well, one, uh, you know, Georgia, I don't think people really realize how good Georgia is. This guy, Kirby Smart, is just absolutely incredible. Uh, but uh, I, I've seen this before uh, when Auburn went to Oregon to play a few years ago, and Oregon was the quickest team in the country, and bomb, 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 bomb. And Auburn went up there and slaughtered them. It was, it was an opener of the season. And the reason is the SEC is just as quick as anybody, probably fastest in the league in, in, in the country. And, um, they, they're bigger. And, and so when they went to Oregon, they killed them. And, and I'm thinking the same thing with TCU. To me, and I've just seen them a couple of times, but to me, that's what it seems. And, 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 you know, speed really does kill. But Georgia is that fast, and they're bigger. But, Bo, I was just thinking of, of college football also, and I spent last week, uh, the holiday week, watching a lot of bowl games. And, you know, 42 bowl games this year, uh, Bo, you know, and, and it, it's getting more ridiculous by the year. I think every game I watched, two teams were 6-6. Six six. Right. Not only were they 6-6, six and, six, and, you know, everybody gets a trophy and everything, but out of these 6-6 six and six teams, Bo, the guys that are in the transfer porter or guys that have declared for the draft, they're not playing. So this was right. like watching ridiculous football last week. I mean, how right. cheap right. are bowl games now? I know. Well, you know what the thing is? It, it's for the kids. Coach wants them, uh, coaches want that to reward their kids. It was a trip and a big deal and all that stuff. You know, but the, what I always say to people is uh, I don't care how many bowl games there are because I'm in the football business. If I don't want to watch, I don't watch. I mean, yeah. who really cares, though? You know, if these are put on, you know, by uh, uh, 
you know, the local marketers. Good for them. You know, get a sponsor, bring in a couple of teams. If you don't want a lot, it doesn't make any difference because it's paid for at the front end. And uh, as far as just crossing over to basketball for one second, your take on the Hawks, Bo, I mean, they're a little under 500 now. It seems like that's the type of team they are. They give up a little more than they score. They're not a great home team, not a good road team. Uh, is this what we're mm-hmm. going to see all year from them? Yeah. You know, this is, this is what we are right now. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the thing is, um, this is why Schlenk stepped down this past week. is because his, his, his uh, formula hasn't come together. It was his formula that built the Warriors. And he did the same thing, the same copied almost that, you know, with us. Uh, and, and obviously it's not working out. And, uh, you know, I, 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 guys, we can't shoot. There's not one, when you have to have a basket, there's not one guy you could go to on our team and say, you know, that's the call, you know, that's the way I would go. Here we go. You know, not one guy. Oh, one more before we let you go. As we look ahead to yeah. the rest of the NFL season and the end of the playoffs, who do you think is uh, going to make it all the way to the Super Bowl? I got, you know, I I, I got the Chiefs and 49ers. Oh, Chiefs and 49 Now, that would be a fun game to watch with the 49ers awesome. defense yeah. and the Chiefs offense. Yeah. I always say, yeah. I, I, still think, I still think great defense and running the football wins championships. So Good. I would love to right. see the 49ers in that game against the Chiefs. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah well, let our be. listeners know about your newsletter and how they can get it every day. Yeah, I send one out every day. It comes to you uh, on your in your inbox at 7 a.m. And you can get it by sending your email address to Bobock, B-E-A-U-B-O-C-K, at um, gmail.com. Well, you're the best, my friend. Thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show for a 17th time. We love you, my friend. Uh, Happy New thanks, Year. guys. Happy New Year to you. See you, boys. Bye. Take care. See you, Bo. That is the great Bo Bach. We've got our next guest, Tony Collins, hanging on the line with our five-star picks of the week. We're going to get to Tony right on the other side of this real quick station. This is Reggie Kelly, former Cincinnati Bengals and Atlanta Falcons tight end, and you're listening to TNT. Thursday night tailgate. Brace yourself for the explosion. All right. Now back with us to go through our five-star picks of the week is former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Tony, Happy New Year, my friend. Happy How are New you? Year, Tony. Happy New Year. How you doing, Christmas? Bob? <laughs> Good. We're Thank fantastic. You, Thank you, Tony. I, I tell you, Tony, um, you and Bob have been on a tear the last few <laughs> weeks. Um, you would think with the... Uh, with winning eight out of nine games uh, in our last two weeks in, in the pool that, that, you know, a guy like you might gain a game or so on no, Bob. No, but, but no, nothing. You can't, you can't, you can't catch Bob because he went eight and one too. So I thought, I thought you were really, and, and you had Angelo Kane, by the way, excited because he called me up and said, Hey, did Tony go five and oh last week? I said, yeah, he did. Is he going to catch Bob? <laughs> nope. Nope. That's not good enough. Because Bob went four and zero last week, so you're, you're trying hard, and I appreciate the you know the effort, and, and, you're, and you're trying to you know, make a move, but uh, you're, you're still a couple of games back, unfortunately. Um, yeah. You're Bob. Bob is an amazing twenty nine and ten. You're twenty seven and twelve. 
You had gotten to a game back, but like I say, with that 5-0 and week when Bob went 4-1, and but Bob 4-0 and last week, unfortunately, with, with everything that happened this week, you, you guys would have differed on the Bills-Bengals game. Might have got you right back to a game, but with that game being suspended and potentially not played, you lost the opportunity to gain that game back. So 27-12 and for Tony, 29-10 and for Bob. I'm a, I'm a distant 23-16, and so it's, uh, it's looking like a two-man race. We'll see uh, how we do this week. Let's get into this week's pick, Tony. And we're going to start with your boys, your 8-8 eight eight Patriots, going to the 12-3 and three Bills. The Bills are a seven-point home favorite. I need the Bills to beat you so my Steelers have an opportunity to get in the playoffs. So I'm doing all kinds of <laughs> voodoo and all that against your boys, whatever it takes. Hopefully they lose. But uh, I know you've picked against your boys a couple of times this season. You're going to do it again this week? You know, uh, it, it, it's going to be tough. Tough going in Buffalo and beating them. You know, after what happened on Monday night, you, you, you never know what the what the uh, atmosphere is going to be in that locker room. I know uh, kid is doing much better than everybody thought he was, and we thank God for that. But man, it's it's, it's tough, man. It, it was tough for me to even watch that. I'm, I can't imagine how it is for those players. And so, I'm hoping, you know that. You know they're they're not ready to play because that's the only that's the only way we can beat them uh, in Buffalo. I mean Buffalo just their, their team is just too dominant right now. And uh, but Patriots they gotta win getting to play. Buffalo don't have to win. I know they want that that home field advantage. I, I'm, I'm going with the Patriots. Gonna, they're gonna pull Uh-oh. it off. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Patriots this week. Twenty seven, twenty four. Patriots. Oh my. Never would have guessed that, Bob. What do you think? Well, I I, I agree with Tony the fact that you don't know, um, you know, how emotional the team's going to be and how, how what way it goes. I am going to differ with Tony on this, so I'm going to say they they really rally around their fallen comrade and and come out and uh, they're sharp. Um, you know, I think Cincinnati. That was my pick. I think Cincinnati had them last week. They were probably going to win that game, but Buffalo, I think. Going to bounce back. They're at home. Uh, January game. You know, with the events of the past week, I think they're going to be ready to play. I'm going to say they win 31-20. Chris. And guys, you know the Bills have won six in a row. I picked them last week to make it seven. The Patriots, on the other hand, have lost four of their last six. They barely got by the Dolphins last week. Right, to turn to Skylar Thompson in that game. I think the Bills come out, and I think they're going to have all kinds of motivation to win this game for Demar. Get that attitude. Get everybody pumped up to do that. I think this is this is the the Chris Mascaro blowout of the week. I think all threes for Demar. I think the Bills win this game, thirty-three to three. Wow. Our second game is the seven and nine Jets going to the eight and eight Dolphins. The Dolphins are a two-point home favorite. Tony, both of these teams have lost five games in a row. I need the Steelers to not only have the Bills beat your boys, but I need the Jets to beat the Dolphins. So, do they get the help they need? I don't think they're going to get the help they need. I, I don't even know who the Jets quarterback is right now. Um, <laughs> but anyway, regardless of that, uh, I, I watched the Jets play last week, and it was like it, it, they just don't have. I, I just don't. They don't have that leader on offense. To do what they need to do, and got to go down to Miami. Miami wants to; they need to win as well. 
I, I can't see him the Jets beating uh, Miami in Miami. So we're going with the Dolphins winning 24 to 7. Okay. Bob, who do you like? I agree with Tony, Chris. I, I think Miami, uh, you know, with all the, the fanfare at the beginning of the season, uh, didn't think they'd, they'd have a losing streak like this in them, this, despite injuries or whatever. Uh, but still, I mean, the Jets, their offense, I mean, I think Mike Weichel, Mike Weichel will have some incentive this week, uh, to try to, to, to show off his talents out there. But I think Miami, in the position they're in, uh, no matter who's quarterbacking, they get enough, uh, help from the wide receivers and they're going to win this game. I'm going to say Miami 28-20. Alright, well, of course, I'm going to give my boys the, the juju that they need and say that the, the Jets are going to win this game. And the, the reason they're going to do that is Skylar Thompson may be the one who gets the start. Either he or Teddy Bridgewater are going to start the game for the Dolphins. No Tua. Thompson is a rookie seventh round pick. It would be his second start. This fourth significant playing time of the season because of all the injuries that Tony mentioned a minute ago, but he's only completing 54% of his passes, one touchdown, three interceptions. And the Jets defense, they're fourth in the league in average points allowed. They're only giving up 19.1 a game. And you mentioned Mike White. He's going to be the starter for the Jets. And really what he's doing is he's auditioning for every other team in the NFL because he's going to be a free agent at the end of this season. And he is certainly way better than, than Thompson, maybe on par with Teddy Bridgewater, but the Dolphins defense is 27th against the pass and 27th in average points allowed, which I would not have guessed. They're giving up nearly 25 a game. So I'm going with the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 Jets to pull off the big win for me. They they take it home 20 to 13. Our third game in the important one, the 7 and 9 Browns, because the Browns is the Browns, Going to my eight and eight Steelers. The Steelers are a two and a half point home favorite. Tony, my boys need a win. We got to start with that to get uh, all the rest of the help to me even make any difference. Do we pull it off at home? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a game that you guys should win. Uh, I think, uh, Pickett, you got the young quarterback that you have. Uh, I like the, what he's doing right now. You got a great running back in the backfield. Um, but it's it, it's a rival game, man. It's, you know, Browns and Steelers. That's the, that's that's the game you want to watch. It's probably be, probably be one of the best games of of the week. Uh, even though the Steelers should win, they're not going to win. Cleveland oh. Browns beat the twenty to seven. Kick the field goal to win and he kicked the Steelers out. Of- oh. <laughs> Hey, I, I guess I deserve that for for telling you your boys are going to get blown out. That's that, that's fine. That's touche. Bob, Tony's crazy, right? Well, well, Tony, uh, Tony, I, I'm feeling is is heat because we're going to differ on this one also. So uh, you know, Cleveland has got a better offense. Pittsburgh's got the better, probably the better defense. You know, Steelers are hot. You know, and like I said, I like Tomlin at the end of the year. In a playoff situation, um, so I'm going to say Pittsburgh somehow comes out of this game. Pickett plays well, and they win. Kind of an ugly game, Chris, but Pittsburgh takes it. How about twenty to six? And the guys, of course, I'm picking. Yeah, they're going to win this game. Kenny Pickett is maturing before our eyes. He's led them to last-minute wins the, the last two weeks. Now, if they could only score touchdowns in the other 59 minutes of the game, boy, we'd really have something. But the Steelers did a great job last week running the football on a Ravens defense that's third in the league against the run. 
The Browns defense is 25th against the run, so I expect the Steelers to to run the ball very well this weekend, and that's going to chew up the clock. It'll be a low-scoring game because, again, the Steelers don't score for touchdowns very often. But their defense played well last week. They held the, the Ravens in check against the run. I know the Browns' offense has got Nick Chubb. He's a very good running back. Uh, and you have to respect Deshaun Watson's ability to throw the ball a lot more than they had to respect Tyler Huntley's ability to throw it last week. But I tell you what, here's a guy to watch for the Steelers. And Steeler fans have been calling for him all season long. Mark Robinson is a rookie inside linebacker that we've been clamoring for all year over Devin Bush. That guy stepped in and really helped them stuff the run against the Ravens. He's a difference maker on defense. He's going to grow into being a really good inside linebacker for the Steelers as we get into next year. And then when I look at Deshaun Watson, the guy's barely completing 50% of his passes, not even over the last two weeks. 9 of 18 last week against the Commanders, 15 of 31 against the Saints the week before that. So I'm with Bob. I think the Steelers defense comes up big again on Sunday. Pickett does just enough, and my boys get to win. I'm right on you, Bob, 20 to 16. Our fourth game is the 9-6-1 Giants at the 13-3 and Eagles. The Eagles are an amazing 14-point home favorite. Tony, both of these teams are already in the playoffs. I don't know if I've ever seen a 14-point spread between two playoff teams. Now, the Eagles, they need to win to clinch the division and the number one seed in the NFC. Giants don't have that much to play with. Maybe that's why, or play for, why there's that 14-point spread. But who do you like? Hey, I'm going to tell you, this this game is, is probably going to be another great game to watch. Uh, like you said, they're both in the playoffs. I'm, I'm pretty sure Hurt is not going to play uh, this week. Uh, the Giants are going to play probably play all their their starters. Uh, a, a great game, but without Hurt, I, I just think the Giants is their, their better team. Uh, Markley uh, will have a big day. Giants defense will. Uh, will be all over Minshew, so I, I'm going to go with the Giants, 27-17. Wow, okay. Tony, with the big upset, not only do they do the Eagles not cover the spread, the Giants go 10 the other way. Bob, what do you think? Wow, we're going to differ again, Tony. So, Tony, he might be in the lead next <laughs> week. If he gets, if he's going to get all these right, Chris, I'm in trouble. But I have to go with Philly. You know, I, I don't think a team as good as they have can – can possibly want to win, uh, lose their third game in a row. You know, um, I, I think they, even without Hurts, they're they're going to score more than Giants. I mean, Giants, they have those games where if, if you stop Barkley, they don't win. Um, and the Giants, again, give up as many as they score. So how about Philly winning this game 30-24? Pretty good game. Hmm, okay. And like I say, fellas, the Eagles with nothing to play for and the Giants locked in. Uh, the Eagles with everything to play for, I should say, and the Giants locked into the sixth seed. I, I, I don't see any way the Eagles lose this game. I mean, the Giants with nowhere to go, no, no seeding changes, no nothing. I got to believe they're going to be pretty cautious, especially in the second half and late in the game. You know, you don't want Saquon Barkley or, uh, or Jones to get hurt in a game that means nothing to them, uh, going into the fourth quarter. I, I can see them. You know, making a run. Hey, let's play with these guys. Let's see what we can do for a half, and then let's let's pack in the the you know the the, the picnic basket and let's go home. Uh, and they substitute everybody out. And I think the Eagles got a lot to play for. They they certainly don't want the Cowboys to overtake them for the for the division after having such a big lead uh, a few weeks ago. They don't want to give up the division. They don't want to give up the number one seed. 
I think they go all in in the second half. They end up pulling away from the Giants. I like the Eagles to win this game 30-13. to Our last game is the 8-8 Lions at the 8-8 Packers. The Packers are a four-and-a-half-point home favorite. Tony, it's all on the line for both of these teams. If the Packers win, they're in. The Lions need to win and a little bit of help getting the Seahawks to lose to the Rams. Which team helps themselves and wins this game? Okay, if it's all if it's all on the line, who would you rather have? Goff or that other guy that wears that, uh, that yellow helmet? <laughs> 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 which, which one, one do you want to have? I know who I want. <laughs> it's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, a lot of points are going to be scored. But in the end, man, Aaron Rodgers is just going to be too much for him. So we'll, we'll go 37 to 35, Packers. Wow, barn burner. Bob, what do you like? Yeah, Packers, uh, having won four in a row, Chris, they're not, they're not the same team they were six weeks ago. It seems like you know, they were miserable back then. Rodgers was miserable. The coach looked miserable. Uh, made, uh, just amazing what a month of wins will do for you. And, you know, being at home in January, I, I cannot pick against Green Bay at Lambeau Field in January. I don't care who they're playing. Um, and being that they're playing well, you mentioned Watson before, these guys are going to step up. Like Tony said, high-scoring game, I'm going to say 35-24 Green Bay. Right. Well, guys, you know, when I look at both of these teams, right, the Packers have won four in a row, Lions have won four of their last five. Their offenses for the the Lions, oh, by the way, might be the best in the league, particularly in the second half of the season. I mean, they've scored over 30 points five times in their last eight games. Their defense is even actually starting to play pretty well. They've allowed fewer than 20 points in five of the last nine games, including nine points, oh, by the way, to the Packers the last time they played, which the Lions. Now, the Packers' defense, they're third in the league in interceptions, so they're doing a good job of taking the ball away. But Jared Goff, knock on wood, Hasn't thrown a pick since week nine, which happened to be against the Packers, but he hasn't thrown a pick since then. He's seventh in the league in quarterback rating. Packers are a pedestrian five and three at home. Nothing special. They've lost to the Giants and the Jets at home. Neither of those offenses are any good. Nothing near what the Lions are going to bring to them. And then the weather in Green Bay, which is always a big deal. It's going to be a balmy 32 on Sunday. Probably in the mid-20s by the time we get to Sunday night. But guess what? I think the Lions win this game. I think they come through. The high-scoring game, I like the Lions to win it 34-31. Tony, before we let you go, my friend, remind everybody about your book and what you're doing to help kids. Uh, you can hit me up on, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Tony Collins, BWIB. Just getting uh, as many books out to schools uh, this year, for this upcoming year, and that's our goal. Tony, you're the best, my friend. Happy New Year to you and the rest of the family. We'll see how you do. You're either going to be in first place or maybe <laughs> maybe I catch you. We'll see. Never right, know. God bless, guys. All right, you Tony. Know, see you, man. That yeah. is the great Tony Collins and our five-star pick of the week. Bob and I will be right back with you on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear your favorite NFL legends sharing their stories and insights every week right here on Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Take it away, guys. All right, we are back here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Leonard Wheeler will be joining us here in just a minute. Bob, I want to get a couple of more thoughts from you as 
as we uh, look ahead to you know the remainder of this week and and one of the things that uh, that we have seen is the Ravens are just not the same team as we were talking about earlier with without Lamar Jackson. I mean, they're nowhere near the offensive team that they are with him. Harbaugh appears to be getting a little bit frustrated that Lamar isn't getting out there. We know he's not 100% yet, but you know what? Nobody's 100% at this time of the year. Um, and without Jackson, I mean, their offense struggles to get to double digits when they're playing. And I, I'm curious to get your thought. Is this an example of a guy and his, his contract is up at the end of the season? Now we know the Ravens could, you know, tag him two more times, right? Even though his contract is up, he's going to be a free agent. But remember, he turned down $250 million in a guaranteed contract before the season, sort of betting on himself. So is this a guy that's, you know what? Hey, look, I'm going to protect myself and I'm not getting back out there till I'm a hundred percent because I did bet on myself. And if I hurt myself, I could really hurt my potential earnings. So you know what? I'm going to sit right here on the sideline for a while. You know, everything you just mentioned, Chris, it does not tell me that this guy is a major team player. Um, so I, I got to side with Harbaugh in a way there, you know, now don't get me wrong. Jackson is an incredible talent. Um, but usually guys that good, Chris, and, uh, that, that are that much gamers, they, they, they'll be in there when they're banged up. And it doesn't matter, you know, what kind of kind, this guy, no matter where, where he is, that ends up, he's going to make a ton of money. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, maybe he's seen some of these other guys that have gone down. And I, I've always said, you don't sign a guy like this long term. You don't give him $50 million a year because he is going to get hurt. It's just a matter of what. Didn't we say that about Kyler Murray, Chris, last couple years ago? I mean, it's going to happen to those kind of players. Um, and that's going to hurt your team, especially if these, these teams are considered playoff teams. So I think you're exactly right. I mean, he's probably looking, his value might go down if he doesn't look good, not a hundred percent, or if he gets, God willing, he gets hurt again. Um, but I am not sold on him as a guy that should be making $50 million a year for another five, six years. Yeah, yeah. God forbid he gets hurt and gets in any worse. I understand what you're trying to say. You, you want to make sure that the guy is uh, is out there and he's healthy and has all that sort of thing. But yeah, nobody is 100% this time of year. Your teammates are out there. Everybody's got a nick up here or there, an injury here or there. Probably best case scenario for any of these guys, 16, 17, now 18 weeks into the season, is you're probably 70 or 80% of what you were at the beginning of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I could see where Harbaugh would be frustrated. You want your star quarterback out there. Your star quarterback doesn't want to get out there because he wants to, you know, hold his value and not get hurt any worse. It's a tough spot for both of those guys to be in and then be in that locker room. So we'll see how this plays out. And again, based on what happened this week and, and what ends up happening with the Bills and Bengals game, if that gets washed, then the, then the Ravens have nothing to play for anyway this weekend. So that part of it might be end up being a moot thing. All right, now back in making his 10th appearance with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate, his former Bengals, Vikings, uh, and Carolina Panthers defensive back and TNT guest Hall of Famer Leonard Wheeler. Let me remind you about Leonard's background. He was born in Tacoa, Georgia, which is about 90 miles northeast of me here in Atlanta. Played his college ball at Troy University. He was a third-round draft pick by the Cincinnati Bengals in 1992. Played in the NFL from 92 to 1999 for, the, like I said, the Bengals, Vikings. Panthers. After he retired, he served as the president of the Charlotte Retired Players Chapter of the NFL Players Association. 
He is on the, the uh, former players board of directors for the NFLPA, a national spokesperson for NFL Play 60. Plus, he is a co-executive director of the NFL Legends community. Leonard was literally guest number 14 on this show over 11 years ago. He has been so much fun and a great supporter of the show. And w- what a wonderful friend over the years. And we're very excited. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Leonard, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back, back on the show. Happy New Year. What's up, Chris and Bob? 11 years? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. Do you know, you know what's so funny about that? I had hair 11 years ago. <laughs> that is amazing. Maybe here, too. <laughs> yeah. Man, happy new year, guys. Happy new happy year, too. Leonard. Leonard, catch us up. What's new with you, my friend? Oh, man, you know what? It has been, uh, an emotional roller coaster probably over the last three, three days. Just, you know, just really praying for DeMar and his family. Uh, you know, it's been an amazing, uh, new year. Uh, you know, with my family, just loving on my wife and kids and friends and clients and, it's just been a lot. It has been a lot. Uh, it's been busy, uh, but it's been truly a blessing. And, and, and let me just say this. It's always so much excitement when you two have me on this show because you come with so much energy. You do such a great job of supporting us as former players. And I just appreciate both of you so much. Well, we appreciate you saying that. Letter means a great deal to us. Leonard, I want to get your thoughts about your local Carolina Panthers. It's a team that appears to be a little bit in flux. The quarterback is something that seems a bit unsettled, really unsettled since Cam Newton left town the first go round. Your thoughts is yeah. Sam Donald, is he going to be the guy or where, where do you think the, the organization is right now? You know, whenever there's influx in the middle of the season, it, it can sometimes create excitement. Uh, which it did. Uh, you, you, you saw that the Panthers went on a, uh, on a three, four game winning streak to where they were really that close to making it in the playoffs. Uh, I think Sam Donald has a lot of talent. I think it's going to take the right offense and it's going to take the right offensive coordinator, uh, to bring that out of. We have seen so many times in the NFL where you have, you know, quarterbacks go to different teams. They display some some talent, gift, but when they're put in the right system, they flourish. And so, hopefully, if they keep Sam Donald, that he's able to show those exciting times more often than not. Leonard, talking about one of your other teams, you introduced us to the phrase "the nasty natty." There's actually, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's actually T-shirt companies that have that on it now. You should have trademarked that when you had it. When you had, I know. Come on, man. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. What What are your thoughts about the Bengals? Is, is, is this a team that can not only get back to a Super Bowl like they did last year, but maybe win at this go-round? You know what? Zach Taylor has done a great job. And let me just tell you, the players that they have with Joe Burrow, Chase, and Higgins, uh, the defense, Mixon, and the offense, uh, running back, Mixon, the defense is playing well. Uh, they have a plethora of great offensive and defensive coaches. I think they've done a great job of, of, of really playing well. If you look at Joe Burrow at the beginning of the year, you know, he was sick, so he didn't, he did not play one preseason game. So obviously he was going to be a little rusty when he came back. 
But if you look at the play of the Cincinnati Bengals, they are the most consistent team in the NFL right now. And let me tell you, teams are afraid to play them in the playoffs. I can tell you that right now. You also spent a season up in Minnesota and, and uh, a team that looks like it's going to end up being the number three seed in the NFC. But as we've been talking about on this show for the last few weeks, and Tony Collins has been pointing it out for, for several weeks, it feels like they're doing it with mirrors. This is a team that's given up more points than they've scored. But do you think the Vikings can get it together in the playoffs and make a run? Well, okay. So we know that we know the cliche offense sells tickets, defense wins championship. That has Amen. been something that's continued throughout the history of the league. The league has been around 102 years and that cliche has been there from the beginning. If the Vikings aren't consistent, like, there's, there's only so many times you can come back in a game, right? Where there's an expiration date on that. And so hopefully, hopefully the Vikings are able to get out front instead of having to come back from being 33 points down and win a playoff game. Because in the playoffs, it's a new season. People are out there trying to win for something that's even bigger than they did in the regular season. So... If the Vikings are able to stay consistent because they have the tools to be able to do it, but do they have the consistency? And that is where the question mark is right now. Bob, questions for Leonard? Yeah, Leonard, again, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. I want to uh, talk to you a little bit more about the uh, the Hamlin situation. First of all, i got to give a shout-out, Leonard, to the, the fans of Cincinnati. You know, watching that Ooh, game, hey, right, I mean, go! Yeah, those those fans, uh, you know, and I know it was a dire situation, but, you know, I didn't hear any, uh, you know, it was almost like you could hear a pin drop in that place, Leonard. This is 60,000, 70,000 people. I couldn't get how quiet it was. There was no one complaining about football wasn't being played, about let's get things going, and they didn't know anything of what really was going on at the time. Uh, but talk about the fans uh, back in the 90s. I mean, I gained a lot of respect for those fans the other night. You know, that is a, that is a great point of reference there, just talking about the respect and the mortality that I think everybody feels when it's life or death. And I think that says a lot about just the fans in Cincinnati. Even when I was there, when we lost 10 games in a row, right? But that 11th game, looked up and they were still saying welcome to the jungle they were still fired up right and that is what i've seen from those fans even when i was drafted there in 92 i continue to see the support and and how they embrace the players in the community and how they respect the mortality of the, the humanistic side of the players and not that these players are robots that they're out there you know, without feeling, but, but I think they saw their own kids laying out there as well to where that brought their empathy to another place and they were able to embrace it, celebrate it and say, and we, and say, we're going to be praying for you. We're standing with you. And Leonard, we know a lot more medically than we did 30 years ago, probably when you came in the league. Sure. Where we were aware of, you know, what head injuries can do and, and 
guys that uh, years later after they retired, you know, what kind of shape they might be in and everything. But I was I was not under the impression of the, the thing uh, that we saw the other night, how a shot to the chest could lead to other things. Now, I mean, a lot needs to still come out, but it appears many doctors watching it came and basically said this was a chest concussion that happened at a, at a certain time of the heart rhythm rate. Uh, were you aware of things like this that could have happened back then? I know any time you step on a football field, it's dangerous. But taking a shot to the chest, I would think back then it was kind of just par for the course. Yeah, and, you know, my uh, wife is a nurse. Uh, she's uh, a nurse here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And as soon as she saw it, she said, oh, my God, no, he's having a heart attack. Like, I mean, she was able to recognize something happening, the impact and the arrhythmic, just how it shifted everything where it shocked his heart, that, that hit this. But let me just tell you, out of all of my years of playing in the NFL and playing Little League and playing high school and playing in middle school, I never thought about somebody hitting me in the chest and it and it doing that to my heart. I've never heard anything like that happening in our game in 102 years. And so that's why it was such a shock for all of us where we had no words. Okay, now I want you to picture this. Picture you at 22, 23 years old. You're on the field. You see an AED come out. You see somebody giving someone CPR. And you're thinking, oh, my God, they're shocking his heart. Oh, my gosh, what is happening? Is somebody going to die in front of me? Think about the mortality that takes place at that point, the trigger that are created from you just watching that closely. All the triggers, all the injuries, the old injuries that you had, they come back to life. And they start to play a role in the emotion at that particular time. That's why, that's another reason why it was so difficult for everyone to transition from that moment. Leonard, let's take that a step further. Picture yourself out on that football field as as a member of the the Buffalo Bills, maybe you're playing the opposite side corner, and you see your brother go down like that. How do how do you mentally get yourself back in a place to go play the next game? You know, that's that's a great question because this is a brother. Like it's re- it's a real locker room full of brothers that love one another and that not only love one another, but they. Re- one another to a place where they're spending most of their time with one another every single day. So now here's this other corner that I know you've been spending time with. You go eat with them. You probably ate Thanksgiving with them. You probably spent Christmas with them. You're celebrating them. You're celebrating their birthdays. You're celebrating with their kids. You're celebrating with their families. And all of a sudden, my brother goes down. Do you know how hard that is for him to now go back out there with a clear mind? And say, I have to put all of that aside because I have a job to do. No, you can't put that aside that way because this is someone that you love. This is someone that you embrace every single day and someone that you're willing to go out there and win for every single moment. And so it's a very difficult transition uh, in situations like that. Yeah, I got to imagine it's, it's not looking at the guy going down with a you know, maybe a knee injury or a twisted ankle or or a shoulder where, you know, he's going to be all right. You just witnessed the guy die twice on the field and get resuscitated. That's got to be a whole different thing 
than knowing, well, he's got an ACL, but you know what? He'll have surgery. He'll be fine. He'll be back next, you know, next season. That's got to take that emotional thing and jack it way up. That's it. And, and you know what? And and then, first of all, think about this. We just came off of COVID. We're seeing, we're, we're witnessing people passing away all around us right now. We're witnessing young players pass away from heart attacks. We're witnessing family members that are passing away. Let's not forget that, you know, all of these guys are human to where they probably experienced the same thing that all of us have. And now here you are with your brotherhood, a friend, a brother that's laying down, and you could possibly lose him. Think about what is created emotionally at that moment to where what can I do? You feel helpless. You feel that the only thing you can do at that time is pray for him. And that's why you saw the union of players and coaches and even the other players on the other side coming around and saying, we can join hands and pray right now, and we're going to believe that DeMar is going to be okay. Let's switch gears a little. Let's talk a little bit uh, about something a little happier. When I look back over the game logs from your career, Leonard, your first interception came in your rookie year. Against Jim Harbaugh, who is with the Bears. Let's go! <laughs> so I, I got to wonder, is there a part of you, knowing that the Panthers' head coaching job could be vacant, and maybe Jim Harbaugh is looking to get back in the NFL, are you rooting a little bit for Harbaugh to come there to Carolina so maybe you could give him the business a little bit? You know what, Jim? Remember, back in my rookie year, I got you. You know, that's a great point because I still have the football and I think I'm going to have him sign it. No, but <laughs> no, seriously though, I think, I think Harbaugh has a, a, a great opportunity to come here if they do not keep the coach that they have right now. Because let me just tell you, he stepped in as an interim coach and he has, he prepared these players to go out without one of their best players that was traded to San Francisco. Uh, Baker Mayfield was cut and he's with the Rams. So he took people, put them in place, coaches, put them in place, and they were winning. So it's hard for me to think that there's not a possibility that he might have a head coaching job opportunity. And Leonard, one of your career sacks came against the Carolina Panthers. You got Steve Berline back in 1997. When the Carolina Panthers alumni players come back, give Berline a little wink. Remember, 97. Got you, you know what? I forgot about that. That's good. Because <laughs> Steve, was, Steve was just, I was just with Steve this past uh, season at a game, and I forgot all about that. I'm going to have to make find something for me. There you so go. That, so, that I, so that I can have some proof of this. Man, you guys are really going into the archives. That is why we love you so much, because you do your homework. You do your homework. Leonard, one of the things that we also do on this show is we end every week by doing our our spotlight on the positive segment where we highlight two players or former players that are out there doing great things in their local communities. And you're heavily involved there with the local chapter of the NFL Alumni Association. You guys do a lot of great things in the Carolina community, in the Charlotte community. Let our listeners know about the things that you guys do. So, 
you know, Chad Pennington and I, we're co-executive directors in the league office uh, for the Legends community. And what we do is, is that we partner with, you know, all of the alumni association, the NFL alumni, we partner with the NFLPA, we partner with the trust. What we concentrate on is this, embracing, celebrating, and connecting. We want to make sure that all of our guys, both current and former guys, know that they're going to be celebrated after the game. Not only are they going to be celebrated during the game, but we're going to make sure that we don't just celebrate you after the game. We're going to reconnect you back to the team, back to your community, and back to the NFL. Because these players, we want them to know and to believe and to own that they built this league. They built the league, right? And so what we want to make sure that we do is that we disseminate all the information, educate them, and make sure that they're prepared to leave this game and continue to live the rest of their lives. Leonard, one more before we let you go. And along those same lines, you've written a wonderful book that we've talked about a couple of times on this show, but I want to bring it up again because it made an impact on both Bob and I. The title of the book is Beyond the Locker Room, Developing Your Game Plan for Life's Transition, very highly rated on Amazon.com. Tell our listeners what they're going to learn when they pick up your book. They're going to learn that that everything that we do is a locker. And your locker room could be at home. Your locker room could be work. Your locker room could be that mom that is, that's trying to go back and, and start working again or that dad that's trying to find another job. Your locker room creates a haven, but everything that you do, it is predicated by transition. And so what I want to make sure that people are doing is that when they pick up this book, this book is educating and preparing them for any transition in their lives. Whether it's, if it's leaving the NFL, leaving basketball, or leaving a job, or a kid, because my daughter also wrote a chapter when she was going to Georgia Tech. And even if you're leaving high school, it is going to prepare you to be able to understand what to do in the midst of transition. Leonard, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you it's online or it's on social media first of all i have to say this to all of us if you are not zoned in listening to bob and chris you're missing out man these guys they're so phenomenal and i just appreciate them so much so i would love for all the listeners right now to make sure that you write in tweet and let people know how special these guys are uh you can follow me on instagram uh, at Leonard Wheeler 7. You can follow me on TikTok at Leonard Wheeler 37 and see some of the workouts that I do uh, on a weekly basis. Leonard, you're fantastic, my friend. We can't thank you enough for coming back on the show. You know how much we love you. We hope we get the privilege oh, of doing it again you soon. Are, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Hopefully, uh, I don't know if you guys are going to be around at the Super Bowl the way you're going to be on Radio Row. Hopefully, you are. And um, and I would love to make sure that we're pushing guys your way. I appreciate that very much, Leonard. We're in there in spirit. Thank you, Leonard. <laughs> Take care, Leonard. Right. Happy New Year to you and the family. We'll catch you up soon. Take care, sir. Happy New Year, guys. Thank you Bye-bye. so much. Bye-bye. See you, Leonard. That is the great Leonard Will. I love that guy. And Bob, he mentioned just very briefly his, his workouts. First of all, Leonard's in tremendous shape. And the yeah. workouts he does, unbelievable, that guy. 
I couldn't I couldn't possibly keep up with him. He's doing such a great job. Yeah, all the props he gave us, because I'm going to give them right back to him. You know, if you're into yes. inspiration and, and guys that keep themselves in shape, and, and he's been such a good friend for so long. He's such a devoted guy. He's joined us both on the TV and radio side. Uh, there are a few better people that we've come across than, than Leonard, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Again, 11 years he's been coming on this show. So we, we love that guy very much. That's why he's in our guest Hall of Fame. All right, we've got our next guest, John Staggerwild, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Staggy right on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear NFL legends, players, coaches, and media members from around the country sharing their insights and stories with us year-round. Here on Thursday night, tailgate, 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 tailgate. All right, now joining us is a staple in Pittsburgh media, especially as a sports anchor and a Steelers reporter, and that's John Steigerwald. John is from Pittsburgh, been a part of the local media for over 45 years. John was the sports anchor for WTAE-TV when I was there in Pittsburgh, along with some of the favorites that we've had on this show, particularly Steelers play-by-play announcer Bill Hillgrove, along with the great Myron Cope. He's worked also at KDKA. You can hear him now on 92.5 and AM 1250, The Answer, from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. John has also written two books, Just Watch the Game, and just watch the game again, and we're very excited. He is making his debut with us tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, John, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming Hi, on John. the show. Happy New Year. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Pleasure. John, I, I want to start our time with you by going back to your early days, because the Steigerwald family has a rich history in Pittsburgh media and Pittsburgh sports. Talk about how you and all of your brothers, your sister, got into the media business. Well, <laughs> I... uh I, I I just was always interested in sports, and I well, I guess the first time that I realized that I wanted to, to do it was when I was in college, and uh, I mean I always had it kind of in the back of my mind, but I, I was going to a little uh, college in Canton, Ohio, which was named Walsh College. It's been so long ago that it's now Walsh University, but uh, it was a little school, and they. They had a, I forget what the reason was for, for it was, but, um, they, they had a, a recording on an old reel to reel tape recorder that was running in the little student union building. And it was me interviewing, uh, inter- imitating Howard Cosell. And, uh, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just kind of liked the, um, the reaction it got. And I liked, I just kind of liked doing it, but I, then I kind of forgot about it for a while. And, uh, I kicked around in school and then I finally decided that I was going to go to uh, Kent State, which I did. And that's where I really got serious about broadcasting. And so as I was getting into it, Paul, he was back at South Hills Catholic High School, which is now Seton LaSalle. And he was doing TV in the high school. This is like 19, eh, 1970, 71, something like that. He's, that's 50 years ago. Uh, there was no other school around that had a, its own TV station. And he and his buddy, Keith Gibson, a uh, kid down the street, um, they started doing a TV show, doing a sports show, and they did a comedy show, and they did it every day. And so Paul, that's how Paul got into it. And then he followed me to Kent State. And uh, while all that was going on, my brother, Bill, he was deciding that he wanted to get into the media, so he went to um, he went to Penn State to get a to get a master's 
he was a history major from Vill- at Villanova, and he got married early, and he decided he wanted to get into the media, so he did that, and he ended up being a writer. He's written a couple of books. He was he was a copy editor at uh, the L.A. Times. He was uh, also the uh, editor at the uh, Post Gazette and the Pittsburgh Trip. And then in the meantime, my brother Dan was playing. Uh, he was a he was a child prodigy guitar player in the area. He's 14 years old, and he's getting up on stage with 19, 20-year-old guys in bands. He ends up going out to L.A. and uh, got in a couple of bands out there, one of which was called Kingdom Come, and he got a gold record and traveled the world and and, uh, and was on shows with Van Halen and uh, Metallica, people like that. And uh, so my sister, meanwhile, she goes out and lives by herself out in New Mexico, out in the middle of nowhere, but she also for a while was a writer for a, for a family magazine. So we've all done it. And I don't know why it happened that way, but where there's five of us, and we all were involved in the media somehow, if you call it music media. Uh, and here we are. But I started with dad being a sports fanatic and having, you know, he was long before it was cool. He was, he would be sitting in the back room at the house in the family room watching the pirate game on TV and listening to the Steeler exhibition game on the radio. And, you know, that's not a big deal now because people have, you know, multiple media outlets to watch. But he was doing that when I was a little kid. And he was taking me to games when I was a little kid at Forbes Field, Steelers, Pirates. So that's where it started with my dad. But I don't know why we all, you know, decided to get into the media. But we did. John, speaking of when you were a little kid and you wrote about this in your first book, seven-year-old John Steigerwald witnessed Roberto Clemente do something that had never been done before or since in the history of baseball. you mind sharing that story? Yeah, it's a great story. Um, it's 1956. It's July 25th. Um, and my brother, Dan, who I mentioned, who became the musician, he was about to be born the next day. And, uh, my dad took me to the pirate game. He had season tickets. The company has season tickets, and we sat up on the, uh, on the first uh, on the in the first row in the upper deck, right on third base. So the Pirates, uh, they're playing the Cubs, who also stink. There's about eight thousand people there, and the Pirates are behind eight five in the ninth inning. And uh, Jim Brosnan is the pitcher for the uh, for the Cubs. And Roberto Clemente's the hitter. He hit one out toward the, I think it went out toward center field, left center field. I, I don't remember. I can't get the picture in my mind of the ball in the outfield, but I can see it like it was yesterday. Clemente flying around second base. Now my dad, he had, he had a, a routine that we would stay most of the time till the end of the game. And especially with the bases loaded and pirates behind by three in the bottom of the ninth, we weren't going to leave early. So we would leave. Uh, he would leave our seats early. We would go stand down by the exit behind home plate to watch the last couple of batters, then pulled out the door to, you know, get to the parking lot. Um, so I was standing behind home plate, you know, a couple hundred feet away from home plate at the time, but I can still see Clemente coming around second and headed for third base. Now, the third base coach was Bobby Bregan, who also happened to be the manager. And he put up the big stop sign because the game's tied and you don't want to get thrown out at home plate, you know, the winning run thrown out at home plate. And Clemente just blew right by him. And he slides into home plate 
I can still see him standing up. I, mean, I can see I can see the umpire making the safe call, and the catcher, who I later looked up, was Hobie Landreth for the Cubs. He jumped up, got right in the umpire's face, screaming at him. He didn't think he thought he was out, but it was an inside the park grand slam walk off grand slam home run, uh, and that there there I don't know what the numbers are now. But that was 1956. I was seven years old. Uh, that was the uh, that was the either the eighth or the ninth walk off grand slam. Uh, it's called an ultimate grand slam in baseball history. To get one of those, you got to be playing at home because you got to be the last batter. It's got to be you know it's got to you got to the last batter to walk off, and you have to be behind by three, and then you hit the grand slam and you walk off. That had only happened. Uh, I think it was the eighth time. Clemente did it. Might be wrong. Might be the ninth. Uh, when he did that back in July of 1956. In the history of baseball, it had only happened eight times that anybody had hit a walk-off inside, walk-off grand slam home run. Uh, this was the first time that anybody had been done an inside the park home run, and it's never been done since. So I think they're up to about 32 of those. There's only like 32 or something like that total walk-off grand slam home runs. But here's the interesting thing. Two months prior to that, I was at Forbes Field with my dad, and I believe it was the Phillies. I don't, I don't, I do, I remember the home run, but I don't remember the details as much as I remember the Clemente one. But, and I'm looking at it right now as I'm speaking to you, I'm looking at the baseball card of this guy, because I'm up in my office. Somebody sent me his card when they heard the story. Um, Danny Kravitz was a backup catcher. He hit a, a grand slam to win the game. Against the Phillies, a walk-off grand slam. That was the either the seventh or the eighth uh, time that that had ever been done in baseball. And two months later, I was there to see the, the either the eighth or the ninth time. Clemente was the next one to do it. But Clemente again, still the old, first uh, first and only uh, grand inside the park walk-off grand slam home run. So the there was a and I'm I'm seven years old now. This is how things are different. I remember. I was seven, so I was in, I would have been, uh, almost eight. I was, I was, uh, getting ready to go into the third grade. I was between second and third grade. I remember getting up the next morning and reading about the game in the paper, in the Post Gazette, or it might have been the Sun Telegraph, which is still around then, but it's probably the Post Gazette. And I can remember reading that there was some controversy about this guy, Clemente, who was a young player. In his uh, second year, uh, running through a stop sign, even though it turned out that they won the game, there was controversy about him ignoring not only the third base coach but the manager who had given him the stop sign. And so, uh, I don't think too many seven-year-old kids, well, they're not reading newspapers, that's for sure. But you know, even <laughs> until the internet came along, there was no the seven-year-old kids just weren't reading the box scores and looking at baseball stories in the paper the way I was. And I wasn't the only one doing it. All my friends did the same thing. So that's the story of Roberto Clemente's inside the park, walk-off, grand slam, home run. That's uh, 60... I don't know how many years ago is it? That's uh, 66 years ago. And it's still never been done in baseball. Other than that night I was there. And it was kind of all downhill for me after that. Well, how are you going to beat that in a baseball game? Yeah. Right. 
You know, well, I was seven. I was up, uh, I, and I, I nothing popped it yet. He might say Mazeroski's did, but I wasn't there for that. Something in it, it very similar, right? In, in stature, now not not in favor of the Pirates, but unfortunately against the Pirates. You also witnessed Bob Gibson's no hitter against the Pirates in 1971. It was a blowout loss for the Pirates. They lost 11 nothing that game. But you got to yep. see that, which was probably painful. Well, no, but I didn't see it because I walked out. I left. Oh. Um, and purposely, my friend Goose and I were there the Saturday afternoon, big crowd. Uh, we were big time pirate fans, 1971. Um, they were obviously on their way to winning the World Series. We didn't know it then, but, um, they had had a, a lead of about eight or nine games on the Cardinals and the Cardinals were gaining on them. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think, I think that this win by the, uh, Cardinals on that day would cut their lead to like four games. So I was in no mood to see the Pirates lose. I don't care if it was a perfect game, no hitter, and I didn't want to see the Pirates lose. So I, the one thing I remember about that, we, we bought general admission tickets and then bribed the usher and sat down in good seats on the third base line, you know, field level. And it was so obvious that they weren't going to beat Gibson that day, and that it, would all, it was also starting to become obvious that they weren't going to get a hit off. By about the fourth or fifth inning, it was just ridiculous. Their their half innings were lasting about four minutes. And they, he was just it was just they had no chance against them. So he could almost feel that he was going to pitch a no hitter. Something, by the way, that had never been done in Pittsburgh before by either the Pirates or the visiting team. So uh, I. I, my, my buddy and I said, we're getting out of here. We, we didn't want to, we did not want to be there to hear the fans cheer the Pirates losing to the Cardinals. Cause that's what was going to happen if it was a no hitter. So I remember getting up and starting to shuffle down the, uh, the aisle, you know, in front of people and excuse me, excuse me. And I said, where are you going? So we're getting out of here. He said, he's pitching a no hitter. We said, yep, that's why we're leaving. We don't want to see it. So. We, uh, we were riding up the Green Tree Hill, driving away from Three River Stadium and heard Bob Prince call the last out. I think it was Willie Stargell striking out for the last out. And we were, we were totally happy we missed it. That's the kind of fan I was <laughs> and my friends were. And that year I probably paid to see somewhere between 50 and 70 games that year. Uh, we were there. Wow. You know, we would go tire homestand. You could get into the, if you, if you could, uh, convince them that you were 18 or younger, which they didn't, they weren't too strict about, you could get a general admission ticket for two bucks and then, you know, slip the, flip the usher a five and you're sitting in a box seat. So that's how we would go to game. So that wow. year I went to a ton game and I was in no mood to see the Pirates lead get cut to four games. So that's the story of the Bob Gibson game. And, uh, so my other, my other, uh, <laughs> experience with Bob Gibson, this is about, that would have been 71. I'm going to say, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 years later, might even have been a long, no, it might have been longer than that because Gibson was no longer playing, but he was, I was in spring training covering the Pirates and Gibson walked by. And, you know, it's, it's spring training is pretty informal and you can go up to guys and, you know, I just asked them to do interviews and most of the guys are nice about it because it is spring training and they're, 
you know, they're in a good mood. And, uh, so we were at the, where I, I think it was St. Petersburg where the Cardinals were training. And, um, I was with, I think it was, I think I was with Katie Kay then. I'm not sure, but the cameraman and I, we walked up to Bob Gibson, who was just kind of walking behind home plate, uh, for, you know, in the warm up time before the game, long before. The game. And I said, Hey, excuse me, Bob, can we talk to you for a minute? He's a pretty big guy. I'm a pretty small guy. He looked over and down at me and he said, that was his only answer. So that's my, <laughs> so now uh, that made me even more happy that I walked out on a snow hit. <laughs> John, I know that, uh, you, you were there in the seventies for the glory days and it, it seems like a, a million years ago. Um, mm-hmm. the pirates caught light, lightning in the bottle from 2013 to 15. Is that, is yeah. that what baseball in Pittsburgh is going to be? The Pirates only opportunity to really be any good yeah. is, you know, for a year or two, maybe they get lucky and they catch lightning in a bottle outside of that. It's going to be yeah, more that's of the why same. I, the reason that I feel the way I do about Major League Baseball is because of what Major League Baseball has done to the Pirates. Baseball was my favorite sport. I started out uh, wanting to be a baseball announcer and I did it for three years in the minor leagues and, um, I'll tell you uh, what kind of baseball fan I was. Um, back in the early days of cable TV, one of the big, big, uh, exciting features was getting WOR TV in New York. You, you got that on the cable, and that gave you the Mets games. So you were able to not only watch Pirate games, but you watch the Mets. When everybody else was watching March Madness, I was watching the Mets in an exhibition game in Florida. That's how much I like baseball. Um, and when I was working in the media in Pittsburgh, uh, uh, nobody, nobody uh, covered the Pirates with the same amount of enthusiasm. And by that, I mean the time that I gave them, uh, even when the Steelers started to emerge. You know, I, I started working in Pittsburgh in 77. Uh, and so in 78, 79, I was radio then and TV. And the Steelers were the, were the, were the rage then, even though the Pirates had been successful. But I went out of my way to make sure that the Pirates got their due. Nobody was a better friend of the Pirates in the electronic media than I was. And I would always uh, do whatever I could to finagle my way to the home game so that I could do a live shot at 6 and a live shot at 11, which accomplished two things. It got me uh, the ability to watch the entire game and not have to go back to the station and, uh, you know, do my from uh, Free River Stadium. So... Uh, there is nobody in baseball, uh, no, nobody in the media in Pittsburgh is a single fan of baseball than I was. And I can tell you now that I haven't, I haven't watched a pitch in a major league baseball postseason game unless I've seen it by accident, you know, because I'm in a restaurant or a bar or something, you know, a sports bar. I, in at least, at least 10 years, I haven't watched a pitch and I have wow. no interest in ever doing it. Major League Baseball to me is, is, should be an insult to the intelligence of anybody who knows what a league is supposed to be. You know, look now, what, what's, I just, I think the Dodgers, or not the Dodgers, the Mets, I think their payroll is, uh, $385 million. It's up to right now. Might be 345 but does it matter? Uh, and the Pirates are going to be what? 50? It's a joke. <laughs> so I, I don't know why any, serious sports fan, uh, especially one who lives in a city like Pittsburgh or Cincinnati or can- even Kansas City, and I know they won a World Series years ago, why anybody would pay attention. As it just, just it goes against 
everything a league is supposed to be. And I just, a couple of hours ago, I just saw a headline on my phone. I didn't look into it. That uh, there's a rumor that the Dodgers are about to make a deal for Reynolds. So the Pirates are going to trade their only star uh, to the Dodgers. I don't wow. know why anybody pays attention. And I don't blame the Nuttings one bit. I think they're smart. He's a smart. Bob Nutting's the smartest owner in sports. I blame the fans. I don't blame the fans. Uh, I, I, uh, I just say that it's, you, you can't blame Bob Nutting, uh, if for, for putting a product out there that the, the customers are willing to buy. So as long as the fans keep buying it, that's what they're going to get. So if that's what they like, they like the view at PNC Park and the food. That's great. But I haven't been to PNC Park either. 2004 or 2005, and I'll never go there again. So, hey, if they, if they put a salary cap in tomorrow, I'll be there opening day. Not until then. And I'm going old, so I don't think, I think I'm going to be dead before <laughs> the salary. Bob, questions for John? John, I, I've been getting goosebumps listening to you, you know, the entire time so far, because I'm a little younger than you, but my, my first baseball autograph was in 1970. It was from Steve Blast, who uh, uh-huh. lived in North Canaan, Connecticut, not that far from here in the, in the northwest corner, who used to show up at our our church sports nights every winter and uh, never forget how good a guy he was and talking to a 10-year-old like me like he was his son. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was something I'll never forget. And uh, But I- I'm with you totally, John, as far as we talk about it all the time, Chris and I, about the money and how obscene it is. But then again, on top of that, John, it's changed in the fact that it's not baseball anymore. It's, there is no fundamentals. Uh, it's oh, no. the fastest way to make the money. It's home run derby. Uh, no. Every time I turn on a game now, it's pretty much out of habit, but I usually end up turning it off early because of the money. So I'm totally with you. And uh, again, we talked earlier in the show. I don't know how much, even at the crazy prices we're seeing, how long we could sustain this because we basically lost a generation of kids can't watch it on TV anymore. It's no. unaffordable to watch in person, especially with me. I was in the New York area all my life. Uh, so I, I'm with you totally in that respect. Uh, but uh, to me that it's not even baseball that they should rename it. That's obscene to me right now. Well, you know what? Um, I don't know the exact stat. I don't have it in front of me here, but um, the number of strikeouts, that there, there are in baseball now. Uh, I don't know what year it was. I think it was, I, it might have been like in 20 years ago, like in, say, let's say 2001, 2002, something like that. Um, there were twice as many hits in Major League Baseball as there were strikeouts. And now there are more strikeouts than hits. What else do you need to know? I mean, that's, you want to go watch, you want to watch a bunch of people strike out. Now, again, if you're sitting there watching Bob Gibson strike out 15, you know, or Don Drysdale striking out 15, that maybe, you know, once in a while, that's, that was a thrill. But to go to, I look at the box for a lot and, uh, I, I haven't given up watching that. I'll, I'll check on my phone. And one of the things I've been watching lately is counting, because that stat is amazing. There, there was never, there were, at one point, it was the first time, and like just a few years ago, it became the first time that there were more strikeouts than hits in Major League Baseball. And now, between hits and strikeouts, it's getting bigger. But I, I, I'll, I'll look on my phone and look into the 
box scores of the games, and I like to count up first the number of pitchers in the game. It'll be a 3-2 game, and I'm not exaggerating. 14 pitchers will be used. Mm-hmm. There'll be 12 hits and 22 strikeouts. That's a baseball game that somebody wants to watch. And and just this year when the season starts, just count the number of pitchers that you see. Uh, just go to the box scores. You don't have to torture yourself by wa- actually watching the games. Just look at the box score and, and count up the number of pitchers that are being used. Forget complete games. Those are a thing of the past. But you now have, you know, uh, uh, there's a seventh inning reliever, an eighth inning reliever, a ninth inning reliever. And uh, I don't know. I get, they, are they still putting a guy on second base in, in, uh, in extra innings? Cause I, they did, they did this past year. I think they're thinking of doing away with it. But I mean, to just think about doing like things like that, it's sacrilegious as far as for baseball. It's, it's guys our age, John, that feel it more than anyone. Because it's a totally different game. We're not watching baseball. Again, I tell kids, maybe if you're brought up, maybe if you're 40 or under, uh, you want to see stuff like this. But the game of baseball, this is not right now. No. The best thing, the best indicator is the, is my favorite is the 1960 World Series game seven. Uh, there were 19 runs scored. The game took two hours and 20 minutes <laughs> and there were no strikeouts in the game. 19 runs. I don't know how many hits. Zero strikeout. Two hours and 20 minutes. That game played today, if it's 10-9, it would be about four and a half hours long. There'd be 37 strikeouts. <laughs> Indeed. Now, this is, yeah, there's no, there's just no other way of just getting away with just the same game. I wanted to get your thoughts about, Chris and I talked two weeks ago when we talked about Franco Harris passing, John, and, and just yeah. the era at Three Rivers in the 70s, Jarella's Gorillas, the Italian Army, how tough it was in there, how great it was to watch those, that game. Was that kind of one of your favorite eras, just to be in Pittsburgh? Oh, yeah, I was at the game uh, in 72 um, as a fan. I, I mean, at the at the Immaculate Reception. And what, again, you have, you, it's getting to the point where you've got to be pretty old uh, to appreciate it. But, and it's not possible for anyone who didn't live through the Steelers era and, and who wasn't old enough to appreciate how bad the Steelers were until 1972. It's not possible to appreciate what a momentous, what a just spectacular moment the Immaculate Reception was, but just that whole season was, just what an amazing thing it was. Anybody listening, just just uh, look, just Google the Steelers' uh, record year by year and look at the 40s, 50s, and 60s and count up the number of winning seasons. There's about eight of them. And um, they, they, uh, had, they had never won anything, never won a division title. And here they are. The the uh, people today think that Pittsburgh's always been a football town. And again, you'd have to be of a certain age to appreciate it. But the Steelers were something to do in between baseball seats when I was growing up until I was in my early twenties, and they they got good. And and that 1972 season, a bunch of my friends and I, who all grew up watching the Steelers, we would go to Pitt Stadium and loved going to the games. And we would go see the Steelers lose 80% of the time, but we still love the Steelers. We still love going to NFL games. And here we were in 1972. Um, 
the uh, home games were blacked out. They had a rule that if the games weren't sold out, couldn't put them on TV. It's hard to imagine the Steeler game not being sold out, but they weren't, including the playoff game. The the Massachusetts game wasn't sold out. So all during that season, we would pile into cars. We'd, we'd make two or three carloads of guys, and we would go to Ohio. I don't think of the name of the little town in Ohio, but it had to. Be, I think it had to be 75 miles from Pittsburgh. So we 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 would go to a motel and uh, get a room and you know maybe two rooms and we would just watch the game in the motel room and when the Steelers would score or when something good happened for the Steelers you could hear the cheering from all the other people who did the same thing who were staying in the hotels hotels they did great business on Sundays so we're riding home that day I think it was after they might have been after they beat the Vikings but what what happened that year was the Steelers actually started beating teams like the Chiefs and the Vikings, who were Super Bowl teams, that they were never, you know, they never gave them a chance to beat them as a kid growing up. And there they were, they were beating them. And my friend Weezer, we were riding home in the car, and, you know, about four or five guys in the car, maybe another two cars in, in the caravan, and he, he just blurts out, he says, guys, enjoy this, because it'll never get better than this. Mm-hmm. And it never did. Never did because it was the first time. So people, people now, you know, uh, the Steelers turned themselves around this year, and they're not going to have a terrible season. They might end up not having a winning season if they get beat by the Browns. But um, it's not gonna, even if they do that, it's not going to be like a horrendous season. And prior to that, six and ten in uh, what was it, two thousand and three, was their last losing season. So the people here are. Steelers fans are really spoiled, and it's going to take them a long time for them to appreciate what it's like to have a good team every year. Because you know, those of us who are old enough remember when they stunk for well, they stunk for my entire life, and then they stunk for my my dad's entire life, forty years until 1970. So that was that was great. And then I started covering them in 1977. Was my I was working for KQV Radio. And that's when I started covering the team. And the great thing for me was that those guys on those teams, Terry Bradshaw, he's about he's he's about a month old, not even that, like two or three weeks older than I am. Maybe it's a month. But he and I were both born the same year. We were the same age. So all those guys were my age, maybe a year or two older or younger than I started covering. And that was kind of, that made it interesting and made it better for me. I, I had a good relationship with most of those guys. Now, you know, I'm, I'm an old man and, you know, those, those guys, 23, 24 year old guys, they don't, well, I'm not working regularly in the media now covering sports, but even when I was, they don't know who I was. They never watched local news. They didn't know, you know, they, you can't, you can't get the kind of relationship with players that get back on. John, one more before we let you go. And you've been an incredible talent in the Pittsburgh area my whole life. I'm slightly younger than you guys, but I'm going on 58. You were a huge star when I was a kid growing up in Pittsburgh, going to Three River Stadium, watching those 70s Pirates teams, getting into the 80s and, and all of that. You've seen a lot of great things mm-hmm. happen for, for the for the, the sports teams. So the 70s Pirates and Steelers, the, the 90s and the 2010s you know, with the Penguins and the mid-2000s with the Steelers again. Talk about your 
you're celebrity in, in town, being a guy that got to witness the greatest things that probably ever happened to your point in, in Pittsburgh sports history. What was it like for you kind of being in the middle of all of that and being the guy that we all turn to to learn about? Well, it was great. Obviously, you just described it. I mean, just what you just described, it says it all. Um, but one of the great things was that I worked in my hometown. Uh, I think everybody knows who Stan Saverin is. Stan Saverin is a Pittsburgher now, but he came here. Well, he came here by way of I think Miami, Ohio, Miami, Florida, uh, or somewhere in Florida, and he uh, he's, a, he's a Cleveland kid, but he's a Pittsburgher now, and he he covered the same teams that I did. But the difference between him and me is that he didn't grow up here, and he didn't watch the teams, and he, I had, that was an extra ingredient for me that he didn't have. Uh, so I was, I was really lucky to be working in my hometown. I mean, that, that stuff that you just described would have been great if I had moved here from Cleveland or St. Louis or some other town. You know, the, the, uh, the, the opportunity to cover those teams. But I was, I was covering the teams I grew up watching. And, uh, I mean, I remember the first night I went on TV on Channel 4, it was December 18th. 1978 it was a Sunday night. Well, actually, uh, it didn't happen until the next night because they, they I was supposed to start and just anchor weekends, and Myron Cope was going to anchor during the week. <laughs> but I did a good enough job on that first Sunday. They just said, "Well, you know what, Myron, you can you can anchor." So there I was the second night, a kid growing up, and I'm I'm sitting there getting ready to go on the air, and to my right is Don Cannon. To his right is Paul Long, and to his right is Joe DiNardo. Now, I was watching Joe DiNardo when I was 12 years old, you know, and Paul Long. Don Cannon was a little closer to my age, but um, so it was very strange and, and a great experience because I, I was working in my hometown. I was able to get to know people like Bill Mazeroski and uh, Steve Blass, and Dick Grote, uh, all the other so many of the other guys I grew up watching, that was, you know, you can't, it's not, if I if I had not been working in my hometown, it just wouldn't have been the same. And that that's what made it great for me. You know, I ended up doing a, a story with Bill Mazeroski sitting in his house out in Greensburg to, for the Pirates pregame show. And I'm, and I'm, I'm a kid who, when I was in Little League, I used to stuff bubble gum in my face for the little league team picture, so I would look like Bill Mazeroski. And here I am, I'm 36, 37 years old, and I'm sitting in his house uh, in Greensburg, and he has his glove out, and he's showing me how he how he turned a double play. And, you know, I, not long after, I think that same year, I did a pregame show where I went to Puerto Rico and sat in Roberto Clemente's living room um, with his wife, and she was talking, you know, telling me about Roberto and everything. So again, this, I, I saw Clemente hit that inside the park grand slam when I'm seven. Here I am. Of course, he's dead then, but I, I'm 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 down there talking to his wife, and this was great. We go down. We're I'm in his house in uh, in Puerto Rico, and we end up going down to the basement. And she's showing me, it would be like I went down in your basement and you were showing me your softball trophy from when, you know, some far league 
uh, team that you were you were on, or, or you know your your grade school leather jacket. She was she was pulling things out of this box in their basement, saying, "This is his uh, his uh, all star ring from 1963. This is the glove he used. This is it was like somebody's just in anybody's basement, and just a pile of stuff. And it was Roberto Clemente, and so." <laughs> Oh, wow. I'm a Pittsburgh guy, and I'm, you know, there are many moments like that where I, I had to pinch myself, and when I, I sit here now, um, I hope I, I think I, I think I appreciated it as it was happening, but I know I appreciate it now, realizing I did it and realizing how lucky I was. Just, I mean, I could go on with the people that I, you know, that I met that um, meant so much more to me because they were guys they were pittsburgh people you know and i was a pittsburgh guy john before we let you go let our listeners know about your show how they can listen to it and then about the two books that you wrote and how they can get a copy well the book actually uh the two books the the, the books are called watch just watch the game and, and just watch the game again but they've been combined into one book um and it's just called just watch the game you can find it on amazon um and uh, what was the other question? Oh, How can the they see if they didn't listen to your show? Yeah, I'm on AM 1250, The Answer. It's not a sports show. It's uh, kind of an everything show, but a lot of politics, cultural stuff. And I do work in some sports. I've done, you know, I, for example, I talked a lot about uh, the kid getting hurt up in uh, Cincinnati this week and stuff like that. When a story like that comes up, I, I get into sports. But I'm actually on the old, uh, you know, it used to be WTAE. It's 1250 AM. I'm on every day from 5 to 6 p.m., and uh, you can hear me there Monday through Friday. That's where I am these days, and I guess they're going to have to drag me out. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm 74 years old, uh, and I'm still doing it. And by the way, the, the first the first um, game, first event that I ever covered in Pittsburgh is coming up, and it'll, it'll be 50 years ago. Uh, that was the... Uh, opening day for the Pirates in 1973. That was the first event that I covered, and that was the day that they retired Clemente's jersey. And you know, it was the first. It was the opener following his death, you know, in '72. So it was a big, big deal. And that was my first press pass to a Pirates game. That's the first, and that's the first, the first event that I covered in uh, in Pittsburgh in the media. Wow, amazing stuff, John. Thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. I know we've barely got the uh, tip of the iceberg with you. We hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again sometime. Anytime, guys. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You, Take care, John. Happy New Year. All the best you to too. your family. Take care. Good luck. See you. Thanks, John. That is John Steigerwald. Boy, Bob, you want to talk about an, an encyclopedia of Pittsburgh sports and uh, a guy that's probably the most knowledgeable about all of it. That we've had on this show, I'm I'm amazed at the things that when I was doing the, the background check on him, you know, learning about his background and all the things that he did. And I remember as a kid watching him on WTAE TV and then listening to his pre and post game shows and all of that sort of thing. An amazing, amazing history that that guy has in Pittsburgh. Now you must have had more goosebumps than I did, Chris, because throughout that conversation, it just brought me back to. You know, my youth and the old yeah. Steelers, old Pirates, you know, when baseball was baseball. And he's exactly right about baseball. Uh, <clears throat> you know, any guy you want to know really what's going on with the game, you talk to a guy that 
has been through what he's been and saw what he did. Uh, yeah. He has no agenda of what's going on now. You know, the guys that promote the game now and everything, they've, they've had an agenda. He's, that's, a, that's a hardcore baseball fan right there. And uh, we agree on everything. So, but, yeah. you know, I was, and I was thinking as we went on, you and I are just so, so fortunate to come across guys like him, Paul Alexander. Between guys like that, Chris, there is nothing left uncovered about Pittsburgh sports and, <laughs> and how lucky are we to really be able to delve into that once in a while. We're blessed. Yes, we are. I couldn't agree with that statement. All right. When Bob and I come back, we'll turn on our Thursday night tailgate spotlight on the positive. Here are two more great stories about guys out there making a positive impact in their communities. We'll do that right on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday night tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. All right, we are back here on Thursday night tailgate, and we're turning on our spotlight on the positive. Bob, who are you spotlighting this week? Well, Chris, we're going to keep on with our going right down the list of uh, players on the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominees and uh Seattle's Seattle's nominee this year, Chris Tyler Lockett. Familiar name because he's been nominated for the the award before. Um I mean to try to condense what this guy does is very difficult. Bottom line, he has his own lighted up foundation it's called. He does an awful lot for kids, students, youth sports, homelessness, domestic violence victims. You go on and on, Chris. Just a couple of things done uh, over the years, I mean, this is not something that just started, but I mean, he has in 20, in just, just this last year, he, uh, he came up with a lot of thousands of dollars worth of clothing, shoes, and food, uh, to the Tulsa Center for the Homeless. And this is a guy that covers ground from Seattle, where he is now, to where we went, where, where we went to college, Midwest, to his home of Oklahoma. So he's, he's got things going in all different towns. Uh, he's done so much as far as during the holidays, Chris, he found out that there were 12 families for Thanksgiving, uh, and over 40 kids that needed Christmas to receive holiday food baskets, gift card, Christmas gifts. He, he definitely donated a lot of his own money for this. Uh, he hosts a lot of youth football pro camp, uh, in Seattle and Oklahoma, two day camps and more than 300 kids get skill training for him at no cost at all to them. Uh, I keep going on and on again. His biography is at the NFL website, uh, under the NFL Man of the Year nominees. Again, uh, Steve Largent has won an awful lot of, uh, things in Seattle doing similar things, but, uh, we gotta give a shout out to him because again, this is not his first time being nominated and he continues to do things at all the cities that he's been a part of as far as a football player. Nah, that's fantastic stuff, man. And, uh, yeah, I've, uh, read a little bit about him in the past and we may have actually spotlighted him once a, a while back sure. as a guy that continues to do great stuff and continues to deserve to be spotlighted and uh, up there for the man of the year. So kudos for bringing him back up, Bob. This week, I'm going to put my spotlight on Bill's linebacker, Vaughn Miller and his Bonds Vision program. Vaughn is out there providing low-income students with eye care and fashionable corrective eyewear to help them be their best every day in the classroom and in life. He's a guy that's from DeSoto, Texas, which is just outside of Dallas. And going back to November of 2021, he launched the Dallas chapter of Vaughn's Vision Foundation. 
he learned that 74% of the 125 kids that he was already doing charity work with in and around the uh, Dallas area, those kids needed glasses. So he stepped up to get them just that. He got them all new glasses. His foundation went on to collect data that showed that 38% of the kids in our country need some form of vision correction. As a child, he couldn't see well without his glasses. He remembered what it was like when he either forgot his glasses or a time when he didn't have glasses. And what it was like when he did get those glasses being made fun of, being made fun of because he was wearing glasses. Mm-hmm. So kids forever, Bob, you and I know, you know, they have self-image problems when they're out there wearing glasses. Kids have been being made fun of for that for, for generations. Well, when kids with vision challenges come to Bond's vision program, they receive the eye care that they need. Plus they, they get, uh, when they leave school and they go to, they go there, get their eyes checked and then they come back to school later that day with fashionable brand new glasses that were given to them by Von Miller. So when other kids find that out, Von says that kids go from being least to being the beast. So good for Von Miller for stepping up and helping kids that need eyeglasses, that need their eyes examined and getting the eyewear that they need and not just any old glasses, but fashionable glasses. And then they get to go back and be able to say to their friends, you know, that might look at them funny or say something to them to make fun of them. Because we know that that's, you know, bullying goes on all the time. But it, those kids get to say, you know, guess what? Vaughn Miller gave me these glasses. So get to, pull, you know, pull their chest out a little bit, get, be able to brag on that. And then the, the kids go, so good for Vaughn Miller for helping these kids out. That's terrific, Chris. Every time I see a picture of Vaughn off the field, he is wearing glasses. I don't see too many people going up to him and making fun of him. Do you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah. but yeah, that's a tremendous story because there's image problems and everything. But think about, you know, right. the kids that he has helped, what that has done for them, for their education, for their learning. And right. so you can't put a price on that, Chris. Absolutely right. All right, my friend, it is time for us to put a bow on this edition of Thursday Night Tailgate. Send out our sincere thanks again tonight to Bo Bach, Tony Collins, Leonard Wheeler, and John Steigerwald for joining us. And Bob, always a privilege to get to share the show with you. Oh, it was a tough week, Chris, but, uh, you know, it came out well, and I know our guests were, were very, very great about coming on this week, and uh, we hope to do it again soon. Yeah, we'll do it next week. Scheduled to join us, our former Ohio State and Houston Texans running back Jonathan Wells will be back, as will our good friend and Red Sox legend Rico Petroselli. Bob, always look forward to great. having Rico as part of the show. And then former Cincinnati Bengals defensive back Charles Mincy will be here, and, of course, Tony Collins. And we'll go through our five-star picks of the week to see if Tony's in first place or on his way to last place. We'll see. <laughs> Folks, you can follow us on Twitter. You can find me at TT Mascaro. Bob is at Bob underscore Lazari. The show is at TNT Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. Both Bob and I have our own Facebook pages. Plus, we've got one for the show. So give us a like on that page. That's very important to us. Please also check out our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. On there, we've got uh, available links to whether it's individual guest segments, previous shows. We also give you our spotlight on the positive on there. You can also find this show available as a podcast all over the net. We're on Podbean. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify. If you've got a favorite podcasting site or app, we're probably on that one too. Just type in Thursday Night Tailgate in the search bar. You'll probably find us there. Bob, take us home, my friend. All right, Chris, you have a great week, and uh, we'll talk next week. We want to thank our terrific announcer, Joe Lajanusa, for the tremendous job he always does with our intro and ads. 
Uh, we also want to thank Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley Band for the upcoming outro music. On behalf of myself and Chris, we want to thank everyone out there tonight for listening. We appreciate you very much. Until next week, good night, Kevin. Good night, Terry. Good night, Rusty. And good night, Coach Dan Reed. We miss you guys.